in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Bishop Bauerschmidt, peace. Welcome to Christ Church. Thank you for this moment and this day. Members of the diocesan family, standing committee members, members of the Commission on Ministry, companions in the way from home parishes for these two. And I see several of them here. There are a couple of, of, of folk I miss. I had hoped to give a, a warm embrace to my brother, Father Greg Jones. I do so sort of just electronically via this. Those from St. Michael's, those from St. Matthew's, those from St. Philip's, all who either are sponsoring or will benefit from the ministries of these two welcome. What, what an extraordinary moment we've come to. Late Easter, the eve of the day of Pentecost and the day on which David and Charlie will be ordained deacons, transitional in the Church of God. These moments have converged and conspired to bring us together for one more grand pre-Pentecost celebration. It's been a couple of years since we've hosted an ordination that first Saturday in June, a COVID pause, among other things, conspired to, to put this off. So it's wonderful to be here again uh, early June. Though we, this diocese ordains at different times, we've typically set aside this first Saturday, at least over the last decade or so, this first Saturday in June for ordinations, you can a little bit know what to expect, except for the fact that movable feasts will occasionally bump up against this day, as we have in the case of the eve of Pentecost. Sometimes I think that it seems to the ordinand, the psalmist's caution is akin to the church's caution about the ordinand's vocation. Our soul waits for the Lord, says the ordination process of the church. Our soul waits on the vocational discernment committee recommendation. Our soul waits on the transcript from the seminary, from the evaluation of the diocesan psychologist. Our soul waits on the report of the Commission on Ministry, the document showing the support of rector and vestry, the consent of the standing committee, let your loving kindness, O Lord, be upon those who trust in you, who wait on you, and who produce as required. But you know, even when all these documents are in hand, it's not always clear the job is done. Sometimes it seems as if there have been so many obstacles to overcome that when the moment arrives, you're not prepared to believe it. Unless I feel, thinks the ordinand, unless I feel the bishop's hands on my head, then I will not believe he has ordered me a deacon. Now, skepticism and caution goes both ways and in a legalistic sense is completely true and warranted. The bishop won't ordain you without the standing committee's consent. It's true. You can't confirm your ordination without those hands, the hands of a bishop in apostolic success, succession on your head. All this is true, but there's so much more at stake 
than the certificates and seals and permissions and even hands. The church means to take two of its number this morning, members of the baptized, soaked in the Holy Spirit, nurtured in grace, steeled by the word of God, carried by the witness of scripture. The church means to take two of its number this morning and set them aside as deacons, as transitional deacons. Note, to live for a time and a season apprenticing for the priesthood. Now, this, this next piece could be a, a little bit controversial, but I think it to be a gift of the 79 prayer book to the Episcopal Church. Pick a spot in church history, and you might get a different answer to the question about what is happening in this moment. Throw a dart at the timeline of church history, and for sure, you'll get a different voice saying something a little bit different. But the 79 prayer book adds, and at times thinks that it's recovering the notion that nothing in this moment, that there's no gift given this morning to the ordained, not already present among the baptized. The bishop must be there. The bishop must consecrate them as deacons. They will vest with a deacon stole, sometimes with a dalmatic. They will take custody of the gospel book and the paschal candle. They will order the prayers, set and clear the table. Under the guidance of their bishop and rector, they may assist in the distribution of the sacrament. They will take care of Eucharistic visitors and preparation of adults for baptism. They will dismiss us at worship, but they receive no particular gift even charism this morning, not already present among the baptized. I think to look past that, to look past this particular gift of the 79 prayer book is somehow to suggest a kind of affirmation of the hierarchical theology of ordination by which grace is added to grace and is added again to the baptized, and, and, and that puts the baptized at the foot of some ladder by which they slowly ascend deacon to priest to bishop and beyond. But, but no, no. Every gift, every grace, every blessing of the Holy Spirit is theirs before the bishop says, make him a deacon, just not in that particular and concentrated way that we've asked the bishop to set them aside. So as the bishop does this, as hands go on the head, as the bishop in some sense quickens, quickens the grace given in baptism, makes them a deacon in this concentrated way, they set before us and we before them an extraordinary challenge. It is the fervent hope of the church, David and Charles, that you will come to inspire us. From the day God planted the seed of an ordained vocation in your heart, you prayed that you might be able to take on the word and have the word fashion your life after gospel precepts. You were to love and serve all those whose lives you touch without regard to place or station in life. You were to preach forgiveness to the penance, penitent. You, you were to administer the sacraments, bearing them in time following your apprenticeship and ordination to the priesthood. Months from now, you will absolve, consecrate, and bless on the authority of your bishop. But now, and above all, you are called to nourish Christ's people from the riches of his grace. 
more than anything else, we need that from you. Nourish us with the riches of Christ's grace. Which brings us ever so briefly to Moses. You know, he was, he was this reticent spokesman at first. But by the 19th chapter of Exodus, he's learned that, there's, that when there's a word from the Lord, he can do no other than to deliver it. The Ten Commandments are on their way, but first, God wants Moses to remind the chosen that God has borne them up on eagles' wings, that they are a precious people. Speak to them, God says to Moses, speak to them of their chosenness. Court them for the sake of holiness. Tell them they are my treasured possession. Oh yes, that has, that's got to be what it means to nourish the people of God in the riches of Christ's grace. As the years go by, I was thinking about this the other day, actually. Some folk get to remember their ordination date by a particular day, and you will have June the 4th, but you'll also have the eve of Pentecost. So your anniversary will be sort of a movable anniversary in that sense always tied to Pentecost, but as the years go by and, and as parochial reports beget vestry meetings, beget annual parish meetings, beget capital campaigns, beget transitions between bishops, beget struggles at diocesan conventions, beget your own personal crises of faith, you may need something more. Your tools for discernment must not be set aside now. They will need to be at hand, sharpened and in plain view, ready for use at a moment's notice. For if nurturing God's people from the riches of Christ's grace is your end, then your ability to discern Christ's presence must never be compromised. By the marks of his suffering, you will know the risen Christ. By the light he shines in the darkness, you will know the risen Christ. And this church, this marvelous, wonderful, mysterious, and very broken vessel, chosen by God to be the body of his Son, we assemble to offer thanksgiving and praise and to intercede for the life of the world week in and week out. It is ours to hold the world's suffering as we might hold the very body of the blessed Savior. It is ours to love and to love without boundary, to cultivate holiness, to shower the world with the riches of his grace. Take hold of this and never let it go. I've served churches where the practice was to have a lay witness Sunday from time to time. To ask someone from the congregation who, in your view and, and by, by virtue of, of discernment, imagined had a word to say to the congregation. And the last parish I served on a lay witness Sunday, there was a lay woman who offered these very challenging and I thought prophetic words worth repeating in this moment. She said, I'm convinced that when we stand before the throne on Judgment Day, the great failure of the church will not be our schisms or factionalism. It won't be our failure to evangelize outer Mongolia, and it won't be our stand, pro or con, on the issue of the day, as important as that might be in the day. 
The great crime of the church, great crime of the church will be that we have abandoned our birthright, the fullness of God. We have those in our midst, she continued, who think of God as a theology and not a living presence. But without the living presence of God, our liturgy is nothing but theater. Our preaching is hollow, our ministers burn out, our programs fall flat, and our children are atheists. This presence, the one that moves charismatics to speak in tongues, the ones that move the one that moves evangelicals to shout amen, the one that moves broad church folk to dress in their Sunday best and Anglo-Catholics to swing incense, this presence, the one that moves those to work for social justice, uh, to petition a governor to put an end to a death penalty in the state, this presence, the one revealed to us in Holy Scripture, this presence, the one that converts the enemies of the cross, this presence, will shower us with the riches of Christ's grace. This presence must always, always, always be your goal and your end. I say what a day it is for the church. Come and lead us in praise. Lead us up to the horns of the altar. Lead, lead us and teach us of the mysteries of the faith. Love us when we're most unlovable. Heal us when we are broken. Take, to, take us to the streets, into the arms and lives of the poor with the full realization that just as certainly as we meet Christ in the bread and wine, we too meet him in the face of the disenfranchised. Work for peace, name injustice, and see to it that no one is excluded from those to whom the good news is proclaimed. Inspire us. Nourish, nourish Christ's people from the riches of grace. But beyond even this, love God. We need you. This church needs you. to love God. May all the desires of your heart and will center in what God would have you do. In prayer, may God quicken your devotion. In praises, May God heighten your love and gratitude. In preaching, may God give you readiness of thought and expression that all the world may see and know that the things that were cast down, he's raising them up. Things that have grown old are being made new and that everything, everything is being brought to its perfection through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let the people say amen. Amen. amen.